Well, it's certainly a joy to be with you this morning, a uh, joy to be in the Lord's house uh, where he has promised that he would meet us, that he would be with his people. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Daryl. I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, I've got the privilege of opening the word with you this morning uh, from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you could turn to Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If not, um, there, it will be on the screens uh, for you. So let's give our attention uh, this morning to the reading of God's word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. And when he, he is Jesus there, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And when Jesus was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like that? He's a blasphemer. How can, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to, for, to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray together. Jesus, we desperately, uh, oh so desperately need this to be true. That you look at us and say that your sins are forgiven. That you would say to us, in spite of the wrong that you've done to me, in spite even of yourself, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus, we cling to that this morning. We cling to what you said to this paralytic. We cling uh, to what you said with your own life uh, as you lived uh, before us, uh, holy and good and just. Uh, so Jesus, would you be so kind as to invade our space, invade our hearts this morning? Holy Spirit, would you move us uh, to believe that these words are true? Uh, would you move us uh, to leave here rejoicing, uh, saying you have done great things and that we've never seen anything like this? Uh, it's in your name we do pray. Amen. Well, we have entered into our spring series uh, here uh, at Midtown 12 South. For the last couple of weeks, we've been discussing uh, who is this person of Jesus, looking at different encounters that he had. Um, asking you to investigate with us uh, who Jesus is and asking you, inviting you to be curious really about Jesus of Nazareth, uh, to be curious about who he is, who he said he was, because Jesus of Nazareth really should uh, pique your curiosity because a man who said the things that he said uh, and did the things that he did um, is a man that we need to listen to. Uh, if for no other reason that um, he's either the king of the universe, like he says he is, or he's crazy. Uh, that we can't remain neutral. Jesus doesn't allow us to do that. He doesn't give us that option. Uh, that there is really no gray area concerning who he is. 
And in order to see who he is and how he acts, how he interacts with um, sinners, how he interacts with religious folks, how he talks to kids, how he speaks with women, uh, in order to look at all these things, we must look at his scriptures. Uh, and so we are going to examine uh, the scriptures and the eyewitness accounts and the gospels uh, concerning who Jesus was and really allow scripture to examine us as we examine it, uh, that we would look at scripture and say, uh, you have uh, the authority to search my heart uh, as we are searching its pages. Uh, and so uh, our hope for you, we do have an agenda for you as your pastors. Um, our, our hope for you is that as you look and see who Jesus is and hear these stories, uh, that you would find him uh, to be true, uh, that you would find him to be more beautiful and more believable uh, than all those things that vie for our heart's affections and that by surrendering to Jesus, um, and, and uh, the truth claims of Christianity and finding that not only does he forgive our sins, uh, but we can also join in the mission of restoring all those things that are broken as we become agents of change in our homes and in our uh, workplaces and in our lives uh, and all those areas really where we live and work and play. And so we want to um, hold that out before you. And so this morning we are dropped really right into the middle of a narrative in the book of Mark uh, with this curious case of uh, the paralyzed man. Uh, we're dropped into this narrative that has Jesus here. He's teaching. It has some friends carrying a paralyzed man to him. It has religious scribes uh, kind of questioning Jesus. And then it has onlookers who are so curious uh, about who he is, curious enough to go to his house uh, and listen to him speak. Uh, and so we want to look at this bizarre exchange that takes place and find something to be true about Jesus, uh, that he must do something about us before he ever does anything to us. And because God must do something about us before he ever does something to us, believers can trust that he will redeem our suffering because he has restored our hearts. When we look at this passage, we want to see that he will redeem our suffering because he has restored our hearts. So there's three things we're gonna see. We're gonna see the faith of really good friends. We're gonna see the scandal of forgiveness and then the failure of the religious elite. So faith, forgiveness, and failure. Uh, so with that intro, let us dive into what God has for us. Looking uh, again at verse one uh, in Mark chapter two. This is, uh, this is probably a very well-known story to you if you have uh, spent any time around the church. Um, and it's well-known, uh, Josh Pantana and I were talking about this story on Friday. Uh, it's such a well-known story because it has so much of, it, there's like so much in it. Uh, that There's so much craziness going on in just 12 short verses um, and it begins with this group of friends who have another friend who is paralyzed. And here's Jesus, he's at home, uh, he's in Capernaum. Capernaum is this area where a lot of healing would take place in the Gospels. Uh, and so Jesus was at home and his house was full of folks. I don't know if it's his house or someone else's house. Probably should look that up before I got up here. Um, <laughs> it was a house full of folks who were there to hear him teach. Uh, they wanted to hear Jesus preach because curiosity followed Jesus around all the time. Uh, crowds followed Jesus around all the time. Uh, crowds of folks who wanted to desperately hear the words of life from the author of life. Uh, they wanted to hear Jesus speak because Jesus was different. Uh, that there was something about him uh, that they clung to, that they would, would sink their nails in and say, you gotta teach us, we gotta hear more about this. Uh, but also at the same time in this house, there are some bad actors there, folks who were there in an attempt really to trap Jesus. Uh, this happened to him all the time as well, uh, to catch him saying something uh, fishy or saying something wrong and then trying to roast him for it. Uh, crowds followed Jesus around and this was no different. 
Um, and because this crowd was so big, um, it blocked access to this house. So here's Jesus uh, in a room. Um, it's just packed to the gills. Uh, nobody can get in. And so these men show up with their paralyzed friend. Um, they show up, there's a guy on a mat. This story is crazy. This scene is crazy. Uh, they're, each one of them have a corner of the mat and they're carrying this paralyzed man up to the house and the house is packed. Uh, there's no order to it. There's no Matt Ackerman there to tell people where to sit. Uh, there's no Elliot to tell people to scooch in, which you hate, but we're gonna make you do it anyway. Um, there is, uh, there's no order and so these men could have turned away, but they were relentless. Uh, they were relentless because they knew one thing to be true about Jesus, that sometimes he heals sick people. Sometimes he heals sick people. And so they weren't gonna stop until they got to him because they had heard the stories. They knew about Jesus. Uh, they knew that blind people sometimes see when they encounter Jesus and that lame people walk. Uh, they had heard the declarations in scripture that he was here to bind up the brokenhearted. Um, they had heard all these things. They'd probably listened to Mary, did you know? And they knew that the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak. The praises of the Lamb, they knew that Jesus was a guy who fixed broken stuff and they just had to get to him. They had enough faith in the person of Jesus to know that he was in the business of fixing things that were broken. So this door, blocked by a couple of nerds, was not gonna stop them from getting to Jesus. So they get to the door, they see that they can't get in, they move around to the side of the house, they shimmy up the side, uh, and then they start tearing off the roof. They start tearing off shingles. The point of the passage here is the desperation of these friends to see their friend healed. It led to the holiest type of deconstruction. It led to the deconstruction that would lead them to Jesus. That if they could start tearing this stuff off uh, and lower their friends down, that maybe he could be healed. And imagine Jesus in this house where he's speaking and then this dirt and debris start to fall from the ceiling. He's like, hey man, this is my house. I'm like, quit doing that. Um, and the light breaks through and then this guy's lowered down. This is why we don't get mad at you if your kids like cry during the service because we're like, well, one time Jesus had a house torn down around him and he made it. Um, and so they, they start tearing off the roof. They just have to get their friend to Jesus, lowering this paralyzed man on a mat. Uh, safe to say that this would derail any church service. But what might even be more beautiful uh, and what might also be miraculous here is that this guy had friends who loved him enough that they would take him to Jesus. Comedian John Mulaney jokes uh, that the greatest miracle that Jesus had was that he was in his 30s and he had 12 close friends. Really 11, one sold him out. Uh, but that Jesus would have friends. It could be miraculous in this passage that this guy actually had friends who loved him enough to carry him to Jesus because put yourself on the mat here uh, for a minute and think about this. The helpless state of this guy's physical condition meant that he had to rely on everyone else for anything he got. And that is your biggest fear. It's certainly mine. That this man had to rely on everyone to get, on everyone else to get anything that he wanted. If he wanted to eat, somebody had to give it to him. If he wanted money, somebody had to give it to him. If he wanted to get to Jesus, somebody had to take him. And if you're here and you're breathing this morning, I really hope you all are. 
If you're here and you're, and you're breathing this morning, I would bet you that you feel the same way. That you long uh, for friends like that. That when you're down and hurting, you would wish for a squad to come along and grab a corner of the mat and lead you to the feet of Jesus. Even if it means tearing stuff up to get there. This is what God's people do. Because if God's people don't do this, then what are we doing? This is what God's people do. This is why we want you to join a group. We're just not trying to get numbers. We like numbers. We're not trying to get numbers. We're not motivated by that. We want you to have a group of folks around you who will care for you, who will say to you in your moments of darkness, in your moments of deep depression and deep sadness, I will carry you to Jesus. But whatever it takes. If it's a meal train, if it's a ride to the hospital, whatever it is, I will carry you to Jesus. Uh, my grandmother died this past week, um, and on the same day, my good friend Kirk died at the same time, um, and so it was a really hard week for me. Um, on Monday, I looked at Mackenzie, and I said, I think I'm going to eat a lot of McDonald's this week. Like, it was a tough week, and I did. <laughs> the, oh, boy, did I. Uh, it, was, it was a tough week, um, but one thing that didn't happen, my phone never stopped buzzing. Uh, my phone was buzzing from friends from Midtown to South, from friends from my past, friends from back home who kept checking on me to see if I was okay. Food that wasn't McDonald's kept showing up at my house, and I was very grateful for that. Um, this is what God's people do. That this man would have friends who would carry him uh, to, the, to the feet of Jesus. And Mark writes that when Jesus saw the faith, the faith of his friends, Jesus looked at this man who was on the mat and said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looked at these men in the painstaking depths to which they chose to go to rip a roof off a house just to get this man in front of him. Jesus looked at the guy and said, you gotta be crazy to do this. You don't rip off roofs off of houses unless you really believe that I am who I say I am and your sins are forgiven you. As my friend George says, it's too good not to be true. The story of Jesus is too good not to be true and these guys knew that and Jesus rewarded their faith by looking at their friend and saying, your sins are forgiven. The scandal of forgiveness came to their friend that day, which brings us to our second point. The scandal of forgiveness, if we look at verse five uh, this morning, uh, verse five is a verse that has puzzled the church for about 10 billion years. Church hasn't been around that long, a couple thousand for a couple thousand years, this, this verse has puzzled the church. It's puzzled commentators because verse five says that Jesus looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven. Uh, it's another moment in the last 20 years or so that I've been reading the Bible that even I look at it and I'm like, seriously? Like, that's it? Um, they hauled this paralyzed dude down the road. They couldn't call an Uber. He couldn't fit. So they had to drag this guy down the road, uh, bust through this crowd, scale the side of this house like Batman, tear off these shingles, lower him down without dropping him, and you just look at this guy and say, your sins are forgiven? F fix his daggum legs, Jesus. Like, they're broken, they're busted up. Don't you see what's urgent here, Jesus? Jesus, don't you see the kind of life that he could live? Like, he could get a job, and then he can get a house. He doesn't have to be homeless anymore. Uh, and then he could uh, maybe go back to school. And then he could run for public office. And then he could, then he could start changing some of the rules around how para paralytics are treated. Jesus, fix his legs so we can fix this world. And it's always the frustrating thing about Jesus, isn't it? Because what we love about him 
but it's also what we hate about him, is that he doesn't act the way that we think he should. He's the ultimate non-anxious presence, and that drives, us, <clears throat> that drives us crazy. And while we would clamor for all those things in the name of having Jesus act in the way in which we think we ought, Jesus forgives this man's sins because his sins are actually the most important problem. If you've worked a job for more than five minutes or you've parented kids or you've just been alive, uh, you know that sometimes what is the most urgent isn't always what is the most important. And what was most important for this man is that while his legs are paralyzed, his spiritual condition was actually more important because two working legs were not actually what this man needed the most. What he needed the most, what you need the most, what I need the most is to be seen and known and made right with the God of the universe. And we shake our heads and we know it's true, but we hate it. It's frustrating that Jesus needs to do something about us before he can ever do something to us. This is what the theologians have called justification by faith alone. This is what Martin Luther said is the doctrine by which the church either stands or falls. Because if there's not justification, if there isn't Jesus who is declaring that you are righteous, if mercy doesn't triumph over judgment, then we're all screwed. If mercy doesn't triumph over judgment, then we're all doomed. There's no hope for us. There's no hope for us if, the, if Jesus doesn't look at us, if Jesus doesn't look down the halls of history before the foundations of the earth are laid and Jesus looks at you and says, I choose you to be mine and your sins are forgiven and I'm gonna take those sins on myself and I'm gonna carry them to the cross and I'm gonna die for them and I'm gonna be buried in the ground and I'm gonna rise again in three days and I'm gonna ascend to heaven and I'm gonna rule over the universe and I'm gonna return again. If that's not true, then we're all in trouble. If mercy doesn't triumph over judgment, then we're in trouble. Because Jesus knows that you can have two good legs and you can still go to hell. It happens all the time. Giving this man what he thinks he wants instead of what he actually needs is not the work of a loving God. It wouldn't be loving for God, it wouldn't have been loving for your parents to give you what you think you wanted instead of what you needed. That's actually how little Putins are made. It's not how disciples are made. It's not how followers of Jesus are made because we can look at this man and his paralysis and think, man, that's really bad. And Jesus looks and said that there's something that's actually much deeper at play here. It's that your heart needs redemption. Now don't hear what I'm not saying and don't hear what Mark is not writing here. This man isn't paralyzed because he's a sinner. Now he's paralyzed because he's born and, and he's the product of a broken world. And if he had uh, legs that worked he, and, and were in perfect order, he would still have the same heart that would be in need of redemption. So Jesus looks on this man with compassion and grants him forgiveness that he so desperately needed but didn't even know that he was looking for. This is why forgiveness is so scandalous. This is why God's grace is so scandalous to us because forgiveness of sins presupposes that you have a condition that's in need of forgiveness. It assumes the worst about you, that you actually need forgiveness. That we're actually far worse than you could ever imagine and yet far more love than you could ever dare dream. Forgiveness of sins means that Jesus Christ knows everything about you and he's not running away. 
And that's really good news this morning because you know that he should. You think he should, you live like he should. But Jesus Christ knows everything about us, but he does not run away and he does not give us all that we want because he loves us far too much to do that. He does, however, give you exactly what you need because much like this man, uh, much like his friends, uh, much like the great Saint Tim Keller would say, is that we never realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. Because everything you can gain by sheer power of will, by working hard, by pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, by ascribing to truth, justice, and the American way, all that stuff can be lost just as quickly as you can earn it. Jesus himself would say not to store it for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but instead store it for yourselves treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus holds out for this man is something eternal, something uh, that missionary Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The scandal of forgiveness means we must admit that we have a great need for a savior and that there is a great savior for our need. But in the story in typical Jesus fashion, uh, for him no good deed goes unpunished uh, because the religious elite are there and they're listening and they're furious at this notion. They're madder than you are about this. They're furious at this notion that God would look and say your sins are forgiven, or rather that Jesus would look and say that your sins are forgiven because the scribes were watching, they were masters of the law, they knew scripture better than any of us, they knew the Old Testament better than any of us, and they knew exactly what God said and they knew exactly who God was and they didn't think Jesus was it. They thought Jesus was off his rocker, which brings us to our last point, the failure of the religious elite. Uh, Jesus forgives this man of his sins. We look in verses six uh, and following uh, down to verse 12, the end of the cha uh, passage. Jesus forgives this man of his sins and the religious elite begin to question uh, in their hearts. It says they're sitting there and they're questioning, Mark tells us, uh, in their hearts. Uh, hey, hold up, Jesus. Hold up, carpenter boy. Hold up, supposed son of God. Hold up, bastard son of Joseph. You can't forgive sins. That's what Jesus does. Or rather, that's what God does. Only God can do what you just did. And Mark writes this so that we would look at it and say, yes. Only God can forgive sins. What the scribes miss is that God is right in front of them. Uh, that Jesus is right in front of him, that as the Apostle John would write, he was with God in the beginning, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, was in front of them, and these men refused to believe it, and they refused to see it. And instead of rejoicing, instead of rejoicing that this man who was on this mat has been brought from darkness to life, has been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, that he's been brought as an old creation to a new creation, that the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Uh, instead of rejoicing that this man is now, uh, his name was now written in the land's book of life, these scribes were thinking in their hearts, Jesus, you're a liar and you're a crook uh, and you're a charlatan and you're a blasphemer. And then Mark tells us that Jesus reads their thoughts which is terrifying. <laughs> Pee my pants. 
Jesus reads their thoughts and he says to them, why do you question these things? He goes right for them because they believed they knew God and what he desired far better than Jesus did. And he asks them, which is easier? Is it easier to tell this guy to get up and walk or is it easier to tell him that his sins are forgiven? See, they, they would have thought that there was no metric uh, to measure whether his sins were really forgiven. They couldn't know. And if he didn't heal this man's legs, it's not because he didn't want to, but it's because he couldn't. Then on the flip side, if Jesus heals this man's legs but doesn't forgive his sins, uh, then he's really just like a circus act. It's like a party trick. And Jesus asking this question has really puzzled uh, commentators for centuries because no one really knows why Jesus asked this question or really what the correct answer was. And maybe that's the point. That these egghead scribes who thought they knew it all, when Jesus asked them one question, they couldn't find an answer for it. And then Jesus does that super frustrating thing that he does sometimes, and he doesn't even give us the answer. All he says is that to show you that I have the authority to heal his heart is I'm gonna heal his legs, so go ahead, friend, and take up your mat and walk, and this dude just gets up and he walks out. And Mark says that everyone was watching and they were amazed and saying, we've never seen anything like this. And he doesn't give us the answer to the question. We don't know the right answer to the question that Jesus asked here, but what we do know is this, that his words held the power of life and death. That in his words were the power for a man to get up and walk, and in his words were the power to say your sins are forgiven, which means that he holds the power of life and death. And by merely speaking, Jesus told this man to get up, which means that the word of God holds the power to change us. It means for us this morning that the word of God can come and examine our hearts and that it can actually change us, that we can actually leave here uh, and we can live lives that are different than they were when we walked in because we can be duped into believing that if we get the next promotion or if we get a better roommate or if we get a better spouse or if we get better kids um, or the right president or they open the Keystone Pipeline again, if we believe all these things that will make us right, that the chaos would end and we can have peace and Jesus is showing us here as long as our hearts are unchanged, we will never be at peace. We'll never be at peace, we'll never know shalom, we'll never know congruency with God, we'll never know what it's like to be on God's good side if our hearts remain unchanged. And what brings shalom, what brings that peace, what brings this offer of the gospel to us is us going to the feet of Jesus and saying, change us going to the feet of Jesus and hearing that your sins are forgiven. If you can't do that yourself, it's someone taking you there. It's coming and seeing a pastor or an elder, and we can carry you to the feet of Jesus. We might drop you a couple times on the way there, but we'll get you to the feet of Jesus because we know that that is the only thing that changes people. It would have been well within Jesus' rights to take that paralyzed man and toss him back up through that hole in the roof and then charge those dudes for the damages because those men were responsible for their sin, right? They had come to Jesus with a condition uh, and it, had, it required Jesus forgiving them of it, which meant that he had to take the cost of that. Which means that he had to be the one uh, who was gonna pay the penalty for sin in order to set these folks free from the penalty of sin. We know that Jesus didn't throw that guy back up through the hole in the roof because we know that Jesus is rich in mercy. 
and that he's slow to anger and that he's abounding in steadfast love. It's one of the most repeated descriptions of God in all of scripture. We know that you are rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger. And it's no different for us. The same Jesus who grants forgiveness to the paralytic holds out forgiveness for you and for me. The free offer of the gospel that was made in the house that day is available in God's house as we sit here. That Jesus Christ knows everything about you and he's not running away. Even when you know he should. Even when you live like he should. If we threw our sins on these screens, even in the last 20 minutes, we would be terrified. But Jesus sees it and Jesus doesn't run away. It's quite the opposite. He tells you, come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You wanna know peace, you wanna know shalom, you wanna know forgiveness of sins, it's coming to Jesus moment after moment, day after day, because he is mighty to save, and not only is he mighty to save, he is willing to save. He stands ready to to save you. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity and joined with power. Let's pray together. Jesus, we throw all that we know of ourselves uh, into all that we know of you. Uh, All that we know of ourselves into all we know of this promise uh, that you restore broken things, that you redeem broken people, You repair broken hearts. Uh, You restore broken homes. Uh, You recover our hearts uh, when they are lost. And Jesus, it's tempting to think that forgiveness is this one-time act. It's tempting to think uh, that we have prayed the prayer and done all the things right and now we have to live on our own. Uh, But your word tells us nothing's further from the truth that we rely on you uh, every moment, that we need you every hour. And Jesus, so would you, uh, the one who left heaven and came to earth, who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have have died, who kept the law uh, perfectly on our behalf, who went to the cross for us, who was forsaken by your own father for us, who rose again from the dead and walked through a wall and told Thomas to put his hand in your side. And he said, Lord, I believe. And you said, greater are those who have not seen but still believe. And so Jesus, until we see you again, until we are brought face to face with you, would you give us the faith uh, to follow you? Holy Spirit, would you convict us of our sins? Uh, And as we continue uh, in singing, Uh, would we leave here rejoicing and saying we have never seen anything like this because you are good. And it's in uh, Jesus' name we do pray, amen.